You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Welcome to Mountain Bike Radio. I'm your host, Ben Welnack, and with me today is Jonathan Davis, the owner of 9250 and Elevated Legs. You can check it out. Go to 9250.com or elevatedlegs.com. Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, the True Grit. He finished fifth at the True Grit a couple weeks ago, and he's done it a couple times, and he knows his stuff. So he had a good race and wanted to talk about it. So, John, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you, Ben. Appreciate being here. Yeah, no problem. So, so John's been a, a frequent uh, guest on Mountain Bike Radio. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's got a place up, and I'll let you talk about 9250 and Elevated Legs at the end. Um, got a cool place. Cool little thing going up in the mountains, but um, yeah, let's talk about the race first. So, True Grit, um, tough race. Uh, yeah, um, most people would say it's the most technically challenging of the entire NUE series. Um, I've done, I think, all but two NUE races in the series, uh, and with the exception now of the new one out, the Bear Creek out in California. I haven't done that one yet either, but I'm going to guess that one's going to be pretty fast and smooth. Probably a lot of fire roads. Um, so yeah, very, very technically challenging, um, terrain, um, rocky route, um, desert. There's a section called Zen that's just, you know, amazing. People travel out to the, think mountain bike radio or mountain bike, uh, action possibly just did a review and they landed in like one of the top 10 destination spots for riding that St. George area because of the technical terrain. Um, so yeah, definitely tough, you know, tough early season. It's uh, it's hard for a lot of folks to get up and, and be ready to race 100 miles at race pace in March. Um, so that, I think that definitely adds to the challenge of the race. Yeah, well, absolutely. Like I, I was reading something, I think it was A.J. Linnell. Um, he's up from Idaho area, like the Tetons area. So it's all snow. And I was reading, right. he posted a blog saying how he did all skiing to get ready. And basically he's just going out there kind of for the first big ride. Yeah, I know Kerry Smith's in the same position. Um, I know Toast, Josh Tostada was in the same, yeah. the same boat. He's been doing tons and tons of backcountry skiing and he had said he'd gotten on the bike about a month before the race <laughs> and started, you know, yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to kind of open himself back up. Um, you know, and I'm sure that, you know, goes down into all of the, the layers of the field, um, where, you know, 100, even the 50 mile race out there being as technically challenging as is, 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 uh, is a real, it's a real effort for sure. It's still good. It's good to get out in the warm sun though, too. Like, you oh, know, Jerry Flug and Trevor Rockwell from Iowa, they were, the East Coasters were out there too. So yeah, I, I've, I've done the true grid every year that it's existed. So the first year was in its 50 mile, uh, format. And then the next three years, um, they had a hundred. So this was my fourth year doing it. And it's, it's, it's a staple race for me, one I never miss. It hardly ever conflicts with other races, which tends to be a challenge for us, and especially in the Colorado market. There's just so many options for racing once the season kicks in, um, and there's not a whole lot going on in March, so to be able to escape and ride trails that good. If it were closer, I would go to, to St. George area to ride uh, weekly. Um, it's right up there with Moab and Fruta, you know, all day long, to be honest. I think in, in some ways it's even better than Moab and Fruta, um, where you can really get out and, and put some distance in. You can spend some time on the bike, um, really cranking out the miles in, in that St. George area. With this, um, with the technical that you mentioned, you see in the, all the pictures and people posting, you know, I'll pre-ride and this thing scares me. Talk about that. Do you see a lot of people, uh, a lot of people walk that big downhill drop section? I think, what is that? Is that yeah, I think they call it the waterfall. Okay. Um, and yeah, I would, I, um, I would guess, Five or six people, that's just a guess, rode that section. Um, and just, pr- pretty much everybody else, um, pretty much everybody walks it. Okay. Um, I'm just giving people from outside of the West an idea of what they can expect. Yeah, I mean, so on the first lap when I hit it, I went in probably somewhere right around the top 10, uh, you know, ish. It's hard to know for sure. Um, but it felt like I was probably somewhere between 8th and 11th. And uh, I was with a group of three or four guys, and everybody within my group ended up walking it at some point. Um, it almost took me out because a guy stopped right in front of me on like a really crazy hard right-hand turn. So you're in the top 10 and you got guys stopping to walk. I can only assume that the majority of of everybody else behind us was uh, was walking it. Yeah. I always tell a funny story with that waterfall. So every year I've, I've raced that race that's been in the race, and every year I've ridden it like – 
pretty much no problem. We'll just go in and just do it. Your race pace, head down, and just kind of blast it. Last year, I went out early with Drew Etzel, and we got there a couple of days early to pre-ride the course and kind of go through some of these techie sections. And we went to and did that section. And Drew and I both rode it first time down. We jammed down it. We get to the bottom, and Drew's like, oh, man, I want to try this one more time, you know, just to kind of figure out some lines. And so we walked back up through the section. And as we're walking up the section, I'm actually looking for the first time at what we've been riding for four years. And I stopped at the top, and I seriously got scared and, like, almost couldn't do it the second time. I'm like, I've ridden this thing like nine times in my life, and now I'm standing here at the top, and I'm actually scared, like, to try to do it once I actually got off the bike and walked back up and then saw the ridiculous stuff that we were going down. Um, it was kind of hilarious. I, I still remember that well. The rest of the course, is it – it's not like that, but it technical. No. But is it a lot of climbing, or is it kind of more No, rolling? you know, it adds up. You know? Yeah, it's more rolling. Okay. Um, it adds up to about 11,000 feet of climbing, and this year's race was only 84 miles. Um, last year, it was like 92. The year before, we ended up a little over 100. Um, each year, the course gets tweaked just a little bit to, to make some changes, I think always for the better. Um, I mean, Cimarron, who puts the race on, um, always makes good tweaks. To actually, every year, the event gets a little better. Um, I don't know if it really feels like 11,000 feet of climbing. At least it didn't to me at the end. Um, because you don't really do any of that ever in one big sustained effort. Just all day, you're kind of rolling up and down. You know, you're, you're going at a pretty good speed. Obviously, 84 miles we covered in seven hours. So you got a reasonably decent average speed for a mountain bike, um, especially when you end up with 11,000 feet of climbing. So I, the course is what, what I think is really cool about it is there is such an incredibly huge um, layer of diversity to it. You get these really technical sections like in Zen, you're climbing up and over rocks. You get the sections where you almost don't even know where the trail is because you're, it's like riding on the moon. You're just on rock. Um, again, sort of like Moab where I mean, you're literally just riding on hardened rock and it's difficult. You have to look for little piles of rocks to figure out where you're going or where the trail even is. So you got those types of sections and then you get out to places like lower Stucky where you're doing 26 miles an hour on buff. Well, this year wasn't super buff. It looked like horses or something had gone through the trail when it was muddy, and then the trail dried, and it left this just kind of beat-up, gnarly, potholed kind of uh, trail. It was really disappointing that somebody would go out in the mud and just trash it like that. But it didn't look like it was bikes. It looked more like hiking or horses was my guess, but I don't know. Um, but anyway, even if, even with it being potholed like that, I think we're probably still doing, you know, somewhere in the 25 to 30 mile an hour range going down that trail, just whooping up and down, catching airs, flying around turns. Um, and then you ride all the way over to barrel roll and you get over barrel roll and then you're back into more like, you know, chunky, rocky, bumpy little ledges that you go up and down. Uh, no huge features that are like super scary. You're just kind of back more into like some raw mountain biking. And then you finish off on some double track, uh, you know, Jeep road is what it feels like that takes you back down to the start finish. So you kind of get this whole, you know, mixture of, of a little bit of everything from like very, very technical to very not technical. Um, I think that's one of the things that makes that race so amazingly fun. So where were you? Not that I want to spend a lot of time on bad people, but where were you when, uh, the course, there's a couple of people that were acting like they were part of the race course people. Yeah, so I, I'm pretty sure I was sitting somewhere in seventh or eighth, and Kirkov and Kyle, Kyle's our store manager and also on the team, um, both of uh, Jeff and Kyle got sent off course by somebody who had a true grit hat on and everything, and they told him to take a, a left, and they should have taken a right. Um, it was kind of the start, basically, of lap two. We basically do two laps around the entire course, with the exception of the double track um, going from the start finish and with the exception of Zen. Um, the first year they did have Zen as the second lap, but they decided that um, just from a safety standpoint, Zen is like really technically demanding. And if you make mistakes, you can get hurt for sure. I mean, you're, you're going off of drops, you're going down big steep little hills, um, people can get hurt. So they decided sending folks into that at 60, 70 miles in maybe um, is a little bit too dangerous. So we don't do a second lap on Zen. But we did everything else twice, the waterfall section, barrel cacti, barrel roll, stucky, all that you go around two times. Okay. And somewhere in there, they sent them off, basically. They didn't go into, I think that's called barrel cacti, that section, don't hold me to it. But they got sent off onto like a dirt road fire climb, and by the time they figured out they were off course, they didn't even really know how to get back to where course was. They backtracked, and they had lost so much time and, and effort. And, um, kind of challenging, you know, the trails get used by a lot of folks out there, and yeah. it's a uh, it's uh it's certainly not unique to just St. George area. I 
it, it seems like more and more every year um, we're running into things like this. Yeah, Was it Breck? Breck Epic last yeah, year. Breck Epic. Yeah. Uh, Breck won. Well, in the year before Breck Epic, um, we got a bunch of signs that were turned, and thankfully Toast knew where he was going and was like, no, this is definitely wrong, and got like nine of us back on course, and we were able to fix the course marking. Somebody stopped um, and fixed the course marking who knew the area, yeah. um, but a bunch of us got sent off course the year before Breck Epic. At the Breck 100, they had the guy on the motorcycle with the orange vest that actually led some people off a course, acted like he was a course marshal, and actually took him way off down by Como. I don't know if you'd heard that story. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. A handful of people got taken down to Como. Like, you know, and then basically the people just took off. Uh, the first year True Grid did a 100-mile race, we had somebody. Um, I was sitting in third place, and it's from third place on, somebody pulled up an arrow, stuck it in the middle of the trail, put four confirmation ribbons, and basically sent us on a U-turn and sent us all the way back down to this lower Stucky area. Everybody missed it except for the first two people. Yeah. Um, just complete oh. core sabotage. And so, yeah, more and more, I think, unfortunately, it's funny. And my guess is people do videos and probably put it on YouTube and, you know, yeah. oh, look what I did. I got yeah. to send people off course. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're just it, – It just goes to show you to, to, to know where you're going. It, yeah, you know, I personally, you know, this is just my take. I think that um, – Anybody doing a race as long as like an NUE 100 miler, you should be using GPS. And I think that course markings are an awesome bonus. And if they're there and you can follow them and they're great, I think that's fantastic. Um, but I think at the end of the day, you need to be responsible for yourself. 100 miles realistically is just a awful long distance to cover and to expect a race promoter to be able to control people pulling course markings in the middle of a race. I mean, a race promoter could have 10 marshals and course sweeps, and you could still end up not catching when something like that happens and 20 people could go off course. I mean, it's 100 miles. I mean, mm -hmm. I just don't think – I think that race markings should be a bonus. That's, I know a lot of people are probably not going to agree with me on that. That's fine. Um, all these NUE 100s I go into with GPS. So the year I got lost, where they, the, the second year when we did the 100 and they did change the course, I had it on GPS, and my GPS is telling me I'm going the wrong way. And the only reason I continue to do it is because during the race meeting, Sim had said um, something about a course redirect because these poppy flowers were, were budding, <laughs> okay. and they didn't, they, didn't want, they didn't want her to use a certain trail. Um, and so when I got there and it wasn't what my GPS said, I'm like, okay, this must be where she was talking about the course redirect. Um, and it turns out I should have trusted my GPS because it was, it was sabotage. But, um, anyway, I just, you know, again, I'm, I'm a big advocate. I, I would, I would advise that to folks that are thinking about going out and doing things like NUEs, you know, Garmin, you can download the GPS track and, uh, you follow your GPS track when in doubt. Um, yeah, and don't, don't follow know. others. Yeah, don't follow other people. I mean, last year at uh, uh, Transylvania was not a good situation. High Cascade, I got off course once and I didn't have GPS and it was completely my fault. The course was 100% marked. Yeah. I just passed the guy. I was totally attacking. I had my head down and I blasted onto this double track and I went from 7th place to 23rd place. Yeah. And it was nobody's fault but my own. And it's like if I had had GPS and within a minute up that dirt road, you know, 30 seconds up that dirt road, that thing would have beeped at me and I would have realized, oh, I was supposed to cross the dirt road, not actually go up the dirt road. Um, so, yeah, yeah. it's... I think that's rule 101, man. You wear a GPS and, and you've got a track. And uh, if the if the races are not providing tracks, I think that's a, a mistake on their part. I think every every race that's 100 miles in distance needs to have a GPS track that folks can download. Or, or just any, not even 100, just anything that kind of goes out in the, I don't know, country kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, 50 miles is still a ridiculously long ways, right? right. I guess you get jaded and yeah, you start thinking. People, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I do. We do expect the anti-epic gravel grinder to be a hundred percent marked. Just so you know. Yeah, so, it will. Every turn. We want ribbons. we want spray paint, spray paint on the turns on the road, yeah. and really big orange spray painted turns. Please. And actually, there's going to be. I think we've worked it out to be eighteen aid stations. Awesome! Yeah. Great. With lights and you'll have hand ups, right? Like I don't have to stop and get my bottle. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Great. Right. Because that whole stopping and getting your bottles ridiculous. And it's free. <laughs> and there still will be complaints. 
we probably need to stop because, like, maybe half the listeners are not going to realize how uh, sarcastic we're being right now. Yes, I know. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you can go to ridinggravel.com and check under rides. There's a 160-mile ride, so if you want to come out to Colorado, if you're not from here, and spend, eh, what, 12 hours probably on the bike for most people, um, you can do it. Two weeks. Um, yeah. Awesome, good suffering. I've done it twice. so. And you're not um, going to get the record because it's eight miles longer because they're going to and from the brewery. So. I figured eight miles on top of 160 probably isn't that big of a deal. Yeah, right? So, yeah. Especially if the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour in your face for half of it, which it probably will be. Yeah, that's fine. Um, all right, so uh, let's get back to the true grit. So you spent all your winter training for this race, right? Yeah, I spent none of my winter training for this <laughs> race, unfortunately. Yeah, starting two new businesses. Uh, we've been, literally built up. Um, an entire bike shop, a performance and coaching studio, and launched our own brand of pneumatic compression legs, um, which we started all of this June-ish, July is when we started construction, and it's basically uh, myself, my wife, Kyle Taylor, and an awful lot of incredibly remarkable, unbelievable friends um, and talented people, uh, even like you, who have helped me out on tons of stuff, your wife, who helps us out with our accounting uh, Adam Hayde, who helps me out with websites, Kurt, who helps me with sponsors, on and on and on and on. I could sit here for an hour and talk about all the amazing people that have helped us do this, but somehow we've managed to pull off starting three, like, fully running businesses in eight months. But with that, unfortunately, I haven't. I even stopped coaching for the first time. I've been getting coached for four years through LW Coaching, Linda, and uh, we stopped coaching because I just couldn't exercise or get on the bike. I've been working 18 hour days, seven days a week, and I try to squeeze in a ride here and there. Yeah, I might have a good weekend, jump on my bike and go ride 200 miles in a weekend to just get something in. But, yeah, no training at all. I went in scared to death, to be honest with you. I was very, 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 very nervous. Um, not at race weight by any means. I think I'm 12 pounds heavier than when I raced it last year, which is not a good sign. Um, but I went to it just real kind of like, hey, this is just going to be a great training ride. I had a ton of friends out there. I wouldn't miss hanging out with my friends at a race for the world. So I'm like, I'm just going to go into this. I'm not going to line up on the front row. Just going to, I'm just going to diesel it out. Uh, just diesel out a good long day in the saddle. And ended up working out really well for me. You know, I, um, I wasn't pushing slow by any means, but I just kind of cranked out a good steady pace and my pace didn't fade. Um, I was able to stay at that speed the entire day, like no problem. And um, I honestly, I was shocked when I got to the end and they told me I was in fifth place. I'm like, what? How is that possible? Because I got fifth place there the year before, and I pretty much turned myself inside out um, the year before to get fifth place and then some, like everything I had. So um, how do you do that then? How Because people are listening, they're like, they're like, finally getting back into it after crappy winter in a lot of places, and they're like, oh, man, you know, two, three hours, I can't even think about it right now. How do, how do, you, how do you do it? How did you do it? Well, um I don't know how to say it with it. I don't want, I don't want to sound arrogant with this at all. I swear. Um, it was, um, um, how do I put it? It was maturity, um, experience. You know, I knew that if I went into that race and I tried to race with the people that I wanted to race with and that I normally race with Mm -hmm. within two hours, I would have been so done that I would have been in absolute 100% survival mode and just suffered through the entire rest of the day. And so I went into the race just knowing here's my zone three. I know my zones very, very well, and I'm just going to ride a zone three tempo. Um, you know, I've been racing ultra endurance for quite a long time now, so I can ride zone three, you know, probably forever. Um, as long as I don't go above that, if I go into zone four and five, I looked at my file at the end of the race, I was in zone five for one minute and 23 seconds to give you an idea that. So I wasn't race pacing this race. I was just grinding out a good, steady, safe, conservative, go all day kind of pace. Um, the problem that happens is you get into a race and you're so excited and you look around you and you're like, Oh, I usually race with this guy or, Oh, last year I beat this guy here. And you have to watch them walk away from you on the climbs. I even had a guy that I know pretty well that we race a lot. Asked me if I was okay on one of the opening climbs. JD, you, <laughs> JD, you okay? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing, man. I'm just grinding out some miles today, right? Because I knew that if I tried to keep with these guys that I normally ride with on the climbs, you know, I just don't have the depth and I don't have the training and I don't have the ability to uh, go into a threshold for periods of time like that at, at this point in my training. And so if I did it, it was going to, the day was going to suck. 
And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. And so I tend to be able to ride technical uh, train fairly well. So I kind of just let people go on the climbs for this race. And then when we get to the technical stuff, I'm on a pivot Mach 429. I left 120 mil fork up front instead of using my normal 100, um, specifically because I knew that if I was going to have any chance of having some decent time, it was going to be on the trail riding that Mach. And so I just ripped all the trails. And, you know, anytime I got to a descent or any of the fun sections, I mean, I, I had a blast. It was like the, the, the race was awesome. It was, <laughs> I, had, I had a super fun ride. And uh, so I was there to the end. I didn't fade at all at the end because I didn't go into any of those um, high zones um, that really taxed my muscles or my VO2 system at all. So it does, it make a minute. You, does it make you feel kind of uh, like you spent a lot of extra time in the previous years when you could have just done what you've done and get through No, because, I mean, previous years I would have been, if I had the fitness I had the year before, I would have been 15 or 20 minutes faster. I was definitely slower this year. The, the times don't look like it. My time was 55 seconds off from the year before, but the course was seven miles shorter this year, and I think the course was easier as well. Riding like Lower Poppy Trail is much faster than the four times we had to go around barrel roll. So it was just a faster course this year, um, for sure. So, no, I mean, if I wanted to be really competitive, I, again, I mean, I somewhat got lucky, and, and it's not luck. I, you never want – I personally don't ever want to make up positions because somebody leads people off course, especially yeah. your friends. Part Jeff and Kyle race. are both my friends. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's part of the game. I get it. It's not like I go up and say, oh, no, I'm not fifth anymore. I want to – you know. Uh, I'm, I'm really eighth. I mean, I know that's not how the game's played, but that's not how I want to move up positions. Right. Um, you know, I want to move up positions because I was fit that day, mm -hmm. um, not because somebody had bad luck or, you know, Toast uh, broke a derailleur hanger. I don't know if you heard the story of what Toast did. So Josh just out of, um, uh, what are we, four or five miles into the race, just on double track. He's just ripping along, of course, right up there in the front, you know, top five, um, and his derailleur hanger shears off, like just out of nowhere. Just trail hanger on. Like, are you kidding me? So Josh walks back to the Zen Aid station and gets a ride from somebody to pick up truck back to the start finish area, goes to his toolbox, digs off through his toolbox, finds a derailleur hanger, puts it on, strips it out trying to put it on, pulls that off, digs through, finds another derailleur hanger that's all bent up, puts that derailleur hanger on, takes off, finishes the entire race in 28th place. He's now at least 45 minutes behind the start of the 50 milers and a lot. I don't know how many there were, but 100 plus, maybe even 200 with all the age groups. So he had to pass all the 50 mile age group people. All I mean, just ridiculous. And he did it and finishes the entire race. Well, so chances are there was one extra place I got right. Had Tosa's hanger not broke, good, more likely than not he's going to beat me. Unless Tosa mm -hmm. has a bad day, he's beating me. Um, you know, everybody has bad days, but on a good day, Josh Josh beats me. Um, so yeah, I mean, some of, some of the fact that I ended up in fifth was just, uh, just kind of how the, you know, an early season race played out people's equipment, people missing turns, some people's fitness. I saw Justin Lindine, another incredibly fast rider for Redline, just wasn't having a good day. Um, I'd heard cramp issues, you know, pretty early on. And, um, so he ended up bailing out relatively quick, like 30, 40 miles into the race. Um, that kind of stuff happens at the early season races, you know, people's yeah. bodies aren't quite ready to, uh, to go to that level yet. And so it's yeah, fine. my I, fifth place I finish saw, helped. I saw Justin came back just fine this past weekend at out in Michigan. So yeah, he oh, he's in, Barry Roubaix, he was like sixth place or seventh place, which is a huge, pretty big race. So he's an incredibly yeah, talented rider. So, you know, but everybody has bad days. We're yeah. human beings, you know, it happens. We don't, you know. Human beings are human beings. We have bad days. I had my bad day at Vapor last year. My calves cramped on the neutral rollout. I'm like, okay, I've got calf cramps on the neutral rollout of a 125-mile race coming up. This is obviously not going to be a very good day for me. I have no idea why. I, I mean, some, something was off. Maybe I had a bug. You know, I think it's just part of, part of the human experiences. You're not always going to have um, the race that you want. And uh, that's, I think, to some degree, that's why we do these type of sports. It teaches us perseverance and discipline and how to push through when stuff sucks. Mm -hmm. And if you can push through when stuff sucks, then maybe you can push through when your job sucks. Maybe you can push through when something's going on in your marriage that sucks a little bit. Maybe you can push through when what you got going on with your children at school or at life sucks a little bit, right? Life is full of stuff that sucks. And I think doing ultra-endurance mountain biking is kind of like the foundation that teaches you how to deal with a lot of the other stuff in life that might suck. Mm -hmm. So you're having calf cramps, you persevere through, your trailer hanger shears off, you ride back and you start an hour and a half later and you finish the race. Come back and do it again. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's, but we all have bad races. That's just, you know, 
you can't let it beat you up. You can't let it get inside of your head. Um, it just happens. And, uh, you know, it seemed like it happened to a lot of people this time around. I probably should have been eighth or ninth place. Um, probably should have been my finish, give or take, yeah. um, in that race. But, you know, it worked out and I ended up on fifth and that's super great. And I had a blast and I'll be back again next year. I'll be back. I will race that race as long as I'm doing ultra endurance racing. Um, that'll be one on my schedule to, to just never miss. With anybody thinking about going out there next year, what would be like two or three things that you would tell them, um, you know, maybe tips or just things to think about going into that race, whether they're um, from I, around here or from out, you know, east or anything like that? What, what I, one tip would definitely be to make sure that you get an opportunity to, to get on a mountain bike before you go. So with everybody coming into that out of, uh, you know, winter areas of the country, a lot of folks are coming in. They've just been nothing but dirt roads or snow roads or indoor trainers. Um, and that, that's a hard race technically to cut your teeth on. Uh, we took a trip out to Moab two weeks before the race and spent three days ripping around Moab. And I, I can't even say how thankful I'm that I did that. Um, you'd be surprised how fast you kind of lose, um, your ability to rail into turns, your confidence that your tires aren't going to slide out on you. Um, braking at the proper timing, that stuff kind of goes away when you haven't ridden technical single track for a few months. Uh, I think it fades a little bit like uh, fitness does. I think skills are the same way. You need to kind of stay on top of your skills just like you're staying on top of your fitness. So I would not advise somebody to come from like an indoor trainer to out to a race that's that technical. Um, you would definitely want to get a little bit of time in. Um, I would also suggest acclimating. It tends to be warmer. Um, I want to say we are in the low 80s this year. Um, it had a wind, so the wind helped a lot. That It didn't feel quite as hot. But again, I'm coming from 9,000 feet in Colorado. It was snowing the day I left. It was zero. And now we're at a place just like Tucson was the same way. We get to the race, 80 degrees warmer than where we left. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that can be hard. That can be very hard on people. Um, so I suggest a week before the race, um, trying to get into a sauna if possible. Um, there's some good studies that do show that your body can acclimate to heat if you give it some exposure. For three to four days even before helps. Um, so I'll sit in a sauna leading up to those races just to give, you know, it's my only opportunity to really get into some heat is to go and to sit in a sauna uh, with where I live in the, in the wintertime. Um, so that would be something I would suggest for sure. Um, so those are probably the main two things. Make sure you get out on single track, you know, make sure you have some time on the bike. It's not just indoor trainer or dirt roads, preferably. Uh, definitely make sure your equipment's in good shape. Uh, plenty of fresh stands or arm seal, whichever whichever brand you use um, of sealant. Um, a lot of times people forget about stuff like that early season. Check your chain. I don't know how many broken chains I saw. Lots really? of broken chains. Yeah, people yeah. breaking chains. You know, you get into that stuff. There's these steep pitches where you yeah, really close. have to yeah. – yeah, you really have to grind out like real small steep pitches. You're shifting constantly. Like one of our teammates, Kurt Wilhelm, who runs MTB Coach, he came back, he had just uh, switched over to grip shift, so he's fairly new to <laughs> twisting instead of pushing, right? Yeah. And, like, literally the next day, it was like he had tendonitis and his wrist was was all swollen up. Um, it's because you're shifting so much in that race. I mean, you're up, down, turns, technical, hard, flat, straight. I mean, you're just constantly shifting the gears up and down and all over that place in that race, so... Bike prep would be, but that, that's kind of the advice I give everybody for any 100-mile race. Spend a crap ton of time making sure your bike is dialed, your brake pads are good. If it were to have rained in a place like that, brake pads are gone. We experienced that the first year. Uh, the first year they did the race, 176 of us started and nine of us finished because it's, it, the skies opened up and it turned into just this, this bicycle destroyer. Every single bearing and brake pad, anything that had anything to do with a moving part on my bike was destroyed after that race. Jeez. 700 bucks worth of drivetrain I had to replace hmm. after that one event. So, yeah, bike prep is a huge thing, um, as always. That's it. Other than that, just come and have fun. It's early. It's March. You know, don't go into it feeling like you have to win the thing. Go into it feeling like you're out for an awesome adventure. Mm -hmm. The riding's worth it. I I wish we could see more people from the East Coast come, which we did. Ernesto and Flug and Cheryl, um, Trevor, you're saying. I, I think there were more that came out from the East Coast. And, I mean, what an awesome change. It's kind of like us going back to Pennsylvania and riding all the roots and the rocks and the mud. I mean, it's fantastic to get, to get a, a break and a change-up like that. So definitely cool. a race worth catching. Very cool. So tell us, you, you have a five-minute pitch. So tell us what you have going on before I ask you, what you what's next on your plate. 
Uh, so what is coming up next? Next is our four-day MELAB training camp. And if anybody is listening to this and wants to come out to a four-day camp that's going to be serving uh, home-cooked gourmet breakfast and dinners in MELAB, Utah, starting this Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, we've got a few sponsors that are coming to hang out with us. Um, there's no cost other than if you do want to partake in the meals, we're asking for a little bit of money uh, towards the food. Um, and then there'll be a small camping fee for we got a group campground at the Slick Rock Campground right in town of Moab. Um, other than that, it's free. We've got uh, MTB Coach coming. We've got uh, LW Coaching coming. So we're going to be having open coaching forums talking about training and racing and nutrition and bike prep and things of that nature at night as we sit around the campfire. And during the day, we're going to go out and ride all the coolest and funnest, funnest, most fun uh, stuff in, in the Moab area. Um, and then let's see, the following weekend, I'll be racing your race on Saturday. And then Sunday, we are demoing our new bat of compression legs at the Platte River Marathon. And then the following weekend, we will be in Monterey, California for Sea Otter, where we have a 10 by 20 booth with our, uh, with our elevated legs. So if anybody listening to this is attending Sea Otter, please come by and stick your legs in our recovery boots and see how awesome they are. I think you'll love them. Yeah. So yeah, we do that. Then we go to a gravel grinder and then we're off to Whiskey 50. Uh, with our legs, and uh, we'll also be doing all the racing in between. I'm going to try to catch as many of those races as possible. Mm-hmm. Certainly going to do the the gravel one out. I can't remember the name of it now. It's a new race that Karen Jarko just turned me on to. And, um, and I will say, I just I, I will get it posted. I'm not sure if it's going to be before or after this show. I just did a interview with Todd uh, Sadow, so we we're talking oh, nice. about Whiskey Fifty some more. He's always good to get on and talk about what's going on there. So. Oh, whiskey's such an amazingly awesome event. <laughs> yeah. And definitely if, if you guys, you know, like John said, are at Sea Otter, Whiskey 50, and you go, um, check out him, find him, tell him you heard it on Mountain Bike Radio too. Absolutely. It's always cool to like be walking around and be like, Hey, I heard you on this or I saw you on this or it's always cool. So. Just oh, sure. I can't even tell you how cool I think it is. Yeah. Uh, it's. I think it's awesome when people come up and be like, ah, oh, I'm from Georgia. I had a guy the other day, I'm from Georgia. And two years ago, you, you were uh, talking, I think it was actually when it was you and Jason doing an XXC um, radio show before you launched the mountain bike radio, which I think that was kind of the start of where your one of the ideas came from, right from mountain bike radio. And uh, he was talking about how he had listened to us and talking about some of the NUE races and how it really encouraged him and, and uh, made him not DNF Mohican one year. <laughs> Um, I got that. That was the coolest thing in the world. Like seriously, like some guy I don't know, like got encouraged by our conversation, um, you know, about these hundred milers and what we do. And um, yeah, I mean, does it get any cooler than that? Like, isn't that what this is all about? Encouraging mm-hmm. people to live better and to challenge themselves and to work harder and, and be happier and fitter and healthier. And that's, that's what this life is all about. So yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. I don't know if I mentioned the bike shop. We do also own a little, uh, a little boutique bike shop now up in the mountains of Colorado. Um, it's, uh, way off the beaten path. We're a quarter mile from amazing single track and we're 50 feet from some of the best road riding in the country, the peak to peak highway. Uh, we're not in a big retail environment at all. This is a, a really cool little destination shop, um, that tends to cater to racers and cycling enthusiasts. We're doing, um, lots of custom builds from felt and pivot and nuke proof, uh, Borealis fat bikes. Um, custom seems to kind of be how we, we just kind of fell into, you know, folks that are really looking for a little above and beyond expertise on uh, custom building wheels and laying their bikes out with, you know, some of the fun race face components and power meters. Um, and along with this 9250 bike shop, we've opened up a uh, high altitude performance studio up here where we VO2 test and metabolic test and do uh, threshold testing and coaching, personal training. Uh, any minute now, we're working really hard, um, actually, Ben, with you helping uh, to get our training camps um, up and going. We have a, a little bunk room that sleeps six people, and we're going to be doing high-altitude training camps where we're going to have folks come out for uh, three-day sessions where we'll go over skills, and we will talk about uh, training regimens and nutrition and uh, teach and show people different ways of eating for performance and go over mechanical services um, it's, uh, we're trying to come up with what we're exactly calling these camps. It's a, you know, a cycling experience camp. The idea is not just to come out and simply teach people skills, which is something a lot of folks are looking for these days. We're finding, um, we want to kind of take it to the next level where it's, um, skills along with, uh, bike prep, nutrition prep, 
drop bag prep. I get people asking all the time, what do you put in your drop bags? That's a you know? very common question. Yeah, all the time. What, what do you put in your drop bags? Well, how many bottles should I put in there? What should I take with me? What other parts should I take? You know, and those things will vary somewhat depending on what the, the race is, how many drop bags you have. Um, so just going over all those types of things, you know, what are some of the different nutritional products that uh, we've used and liked and seem to work really well for us? Um, you know, what gets us through these races? Um, you know, a lot of folks are interested in that type of stuff. I learned all of this from somebody else myself, mm-hmm. right? Having coaches like LW who, uh, who've been mentoring me for four years. Um, I can't tell you how much I've learned. And then just being around so many other races and hearing what they have to say. And, uh, that's kind of how, how a sport like this is. We all learn a lot from each other. And so, yeah, I'm turning 42 this year. I'm kind of looking at taking the second half of my life and taking, um, what I love so much and what I've been doing through the first half of my life um, and sharing that back with folks that now maybe want to try to do the same with their lives. Um, so the ability, what we've basically done with 9250 is we've created a business where we can help people um, from the very start. We can help them with a, a bicycle and then we can fit them properly. We can help them with all of the nutrition. We can offer them coaching services. We can help them get down to race weight. We can offer them physiological testing to let them learn more about their body and where their zones are and how they should be training. We can teach them skills out on technical trails in our backyard. Um, we have recovery products. We have our own pneumatic compression legs and ice legs. And uh, we're basically trying to create a cycling and fitness lifestyle business that helps teach people basically every aspect that there would be to um, what it is to try to uh, be successful at, at I don't want to say just ultra endurance racing. I, I honestly, I'd like to even help people um, in this business. And we are actually helping some people in this business right now that don't race at all. They're like, you know what? I'm, I'm maybe uh, 36, 37 years old. I've put on 30 or 40 pounds that I don't necessarily like. It just kind of happened over the years. I've been working. I'm raising kids. I started businesses. You know, we all did it. I did it. Six years ago, I was 72 pounds heavier than I am now. I was pre-diabetic. I had high blood pressure. The doctor basically told me, just keep doing what you're doing. You'll have full-blown diabetes. And uh, that was kind of the wake-up call to me. That was in 2009. So it's been five years. In five years, that was my wake-up call. Like, wow, I've got to get my life back in, in order. This is this is this is insane. I'm I'm killing myself, and I'm not living the way I want to live. This is I, I moved to Colorado to race bikes professionally, and here I am at 242 pounds with freaking pre-diabetes. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? But it happens. It happens to a lot of us. We're we're busy. Uh, our culture and our society teaches us really, really well how to be busy. They do a great job at teaching people to be busy. You hear it all the time. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. We're all so busy. Um, we want to try to teach people how to maybe manage some of that busyness and still take care of their health, their fitness, and their mental well-being. I mean, I'm, I'm a mentally better person when I ride my bicycle. Um, you know, keep me off a bike for too long, and my kids don't like me anymore. Like, my daughter will literally, like, Dad, go work out. Seriously, you, you've got to go work out, please. Um, because we need this. Human beings, we need to work out. So, yeah, Kathy and I, my wife's a very accomplished marathon runner, and uh, she let herself get a little bit um, out of shape as well years ago, and we both turned that around. She won her last half marathon two weeks ago, even with all this craziness of starting this business. I mean, that girl's been working until midnight every night mm-hmm. and still managed to squeeze in enough training with our children, uh, with everything going on, to go and win her age group at a half marathon. So it's not easy, but it can be done. And um, we have a lot of passion and love for all of this, and we would like to learn how to share that with other people and help other people do the same thing we've done with our lives. Man, and, I, I think it's pretty clear from all that to any listener to to hear that you're uh, pretty passionate about it. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, good. So, and, huh. and what I'll do is uh, link – so if you're listening to this, just check the bottom of the show page. I'll link all the stuff, um, you know, 9250 elevated legs. Yeah, check out our Facebook page. That's really like the most happening right now. The website is like massively under construction. And so you go there and there's like, you know, there's home pages. We've got stuff up, but there's just not a lot of content yet. Our elevated legs page, we have an amazing new page that Adam Haid um, just helped us build. And we're hoping that's going to actually be posted up by the end of today. Um, and it's like awesome. It's beautiful. Uh, but that stuff takes a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time. And so we're getting there, but uh, we're real active on Facebook and Twitter. And, um, you know, it's, I, I think we're showing the love and the fun of our community on Facebook. That's one of the things we're trying to do. Our Facebook page is not nonstop sales. I promise every now and again, I might mention something cool that we got in, but really our Facebook page is more about celebrating the love of this sport, celebrating this community, celebrating our racers, um, celebrating our club riders, 
Uh, we have 42 people riding our kits right now, and we're looking for 68 more. Our end goal is we would like 100 people in 9250 kits all over the United States of America out being a part of this incredible community that we're building. Um, racers and non-racers, professionals down to non-professional Cat 3 racer trail riders, enduro guys, we've got the whole gamut covered. Um, this is, about again, about community and about love of sport. Uh, you don't have to just be some top-end pro racer to be on our team. Um, that's awesome. Maybe we can help you get to there, right? Yeah. That's that's a lot of people's goals. Hey, maybe you're a cat one or a cat two guy, and you'd like to make it take it to the next level. And being a part of a community like this is how you have the the support and the structure and the building and the the wisdom of so many people around you, where everybody brings a little bit of their talents to the table for the betterment of the entire community. Uh, we like to call it a co-op. We kind of feel like 9250 is a cycling and fitness co-op. We have all these people putting their talents into it for the good of everybody within the community. You know, this weekend at camp, we're going to have coaches talking. They're not getting paid. They're doing this out of love of community and love of cycling. I mean, people are going to be giving free wisdom, very professional coaches, you know, that, that get paid to do this for a living, are coming to our camp to to give free advice to people uh, to be a part of this community. We're making these humongous meals with bison and kale, and we're going to teach people different ways of cooking sweet potatoes, and we're finally going to let our Noosa berry gluten-free yogurts out of the out of the cage. Everybody's been asking for that recipe forever, and we've kind of kept it, kept it tight, but we're letting that out of camp this weekend so people will get to experience our Noosa berry pancake, gluten-free pancakes. They're ridiculous, oh by the way. Like, ridiculous. But so anyway, after, yeah, after that, there's a little pitch for all this. So, so after that, can I then put, after that's out of the bag, can I put it? Uh... You can. We're going to actually put it all out onto the Internet and okay. let everybody. Everybody's been asking for that for like a year. I think we were in on one of your shows a year ago, and people wanted that. And it's been one of those fun things when someone comes out or comes up to the house or they stay for uh, training or something, and we introduce these pancakes. They're like, oh, my gosh. These are like the best pancakes I've ever had. And then it's always great when you tell them they're gluten-free because most people think that's like, you know, it's supposed to taste like a piece of cardboard yeah. when it's gluten-free. And it's like, seriously, that's gluten-free? It's like, that's so awesome. And so, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna let that one out. But anyway, we're just going to have a blast. It's going to be, I don't know, it looks like we're somewhere in the 30 to 40 person range at this point, kind of having a hard time exactly telling. Um, I, I think there's people coming that maybe I don't know are coming. Uh, but we're going to be at the Slick Rock Campground in Moab for four days and – if anyone in his listeners wants to come and experience what a, a unique mountain bike community we are building here, come on out, hang out. And I'll put your it's Jonathan at ninety two fifty, right? Yeah, Jonathan ninety two fifty dot com is my email address. And again, Facebook is great, just ninety two fifty cyclery. Elevated legs also has a Facebook page. And uh, you know, until our website is really up and running, which just, you know, being straight's gonna be it could even be another six months before we have that website to a place where we want it. Um you know, that's, those are the struggles of being uh, independent small business owners that literally do the construction of the bike shop to the stocking of the bike shop to the building of the websites to, of course, wanting to race and train and go out and do events. And so we'll build this up as, uh, as we can, but it'll take time. Cool. No, well, no big hurry, really. You yeah, know? yeah. No, that's good. It's, it, you can't do everything all at once. No, nah, nah, it's just too much. It's in, I think if you finish one thing, you're just going to build something else. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't want to finish too soon. Yes, exactly. With that, yeah. I'm ready for you to help me build the training camps, though. Well, so, no no I, one next helping me build the training camps, folks. And, and We're that's gonna, what I was going to mention. That's coming too, soon. To, just to give a, people a quick idea. So basically what you do is you'd, assuming that you're coming from out of state, you'd fly in like a Thursday, whenever. <laughs> Yep. Um, get you up there for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could you could bust out of there Sunday night, or you could wait till Monday to do whatever you want. But um, we shuttle to and from the airport. Yep. They send their bikes in advance. We build their bikes, give it a tune up if needed. Um, so when they get here, the bike is fresh and ready to go. And then once uh, a trainee gets here, um, we we are going to try to offer about everything that somebody um, could need or want to experience in a in a three-day camp. Um, if they maybe haven't been fit properly on their bike in several years, um, maybe their, their body composition has changed in the last few years and they haven't had a new fit to adjust to this new body composition. Maybe they've gotten fitter, right? People don't realize it, but as you get fitter, you want to take a look at your bike fit because small changes are going to happen um, as your muscles change. Um, so we'll have the opportunity to get people fit properly on their bicycles. Um, if somebody is looking to maybe um, 
um, change their body composition. Maybe they're in the position I'm in right this second. I'm, I'm working really hard on getting myself down to race weight. That tends to be a big thing for, for uh, most folks, certainly in my age bracket. I know very few of us middle-aged men that probably would not like to lose a few pounds um, for race weight. There's some, I'm sure, but most of us could use a few. <laughs> so we offer metabolic testing. It's real easy. You sit in a chair, you breathe into a tube for 10 minutes, and out of that we basically let folks know exactly what their calorie needs are. From that, if one of your goals of the trip is to learn about how can I uh, have, achieve better health through what I'm eating and how can I achieve a better body composition through what I'm eating, what we will then do is, is personally cater every meal they eat throughout the entire week to what their specific metabolic rate is, as well as, of course, incorporating in the energy that they're expelling on the bicycle as we're training, right? Because we want to do training rides every single day. Mm -hmm. um, so with that, hopefully folks will leave and say, wow, I used to think that what my plate portion should look like was this, and now I've learned that what my plate portion should probably look like is more like this. And wow, I was eating like way too many potatoes and not enough protein. And I learned this weekend that as a 42-year-old male, I need to increase my protein a little bit, right? I need to, I, don't, I can't eat the same way that I ate when I was 22 years old if I want to perform well on the bicycle. Um, we want to introduce people to anti-inflammatory foods to help teach them again about recovery. You know, uh, your muscles come out of uh, training and racing inflamed. And there's lots of foods that can actually help reduce that inflammation and help you recover faster so that you can get back on the bike and perform better. Um, so that's kind of a unique thing. I, I'm, not, um, I'm not sure I've experienced that before anywhere else. I think it's something a lot of people would uh, really appreciate if they walked away from anything over the weekend, just leaving, kind of knowing what do I need to do in a healthy way to still maintain my energy and go out of this camp knowing how to eat properly moving forward, um, I would think that'd be a pretty huge thing. I would have loved it if I could have learned that day one four years ago. Um, it's taken me four years to really learn all of this. So, uh, so then we will do skill camps. Yeah. We're going to take folks out, right? We're going to do skill lessons. We're going to teach people how to go off of drops, how to take turns, you know, um, just spend some time out in some pretty technical single track up in our area. Um, that's kind of the idea there is a combination of really fun, right? Let's have a blast riding awesome trails. And at the same time, um, let's just help people learn how to feel a little more comfortable on their bike, right? And how to, uh, how to ride it a little bit faster in, in technical terrain. Um, so it's an all-inclusive mountain bike experience with knowledge, yeah. nutrition, and mechanics. Fun, mechanics. How about bleeding your brakes? Yeah. How about you know fixing the chain on the fly? You know, some folks are uh, nervous about what do I do if I get a flat in a race. I've met people that didn't know that hey, if I run tubeless tires, um, I should carry a tube with me when I do these races, so that if I get a flat, I have a tube with me. Right, Just little things that a lot of us now take for granted because we've been doing it long enough, but many people come into this sport, those types of things aren't known to them. So teaching them about what should I carry with me when I'm racing, how should I change some of these things. If some folks already know that, they're more advanced, then maybe they don't sit in on that particular mechanic lesson. Maybe at that time they go out and play volleyball in the front yard right? while we're doing that little lesson. But the idea or is we want people to come out. Yeah, or go, yeah, go sit in some legs or go for another ride, right? We got tons of riding right around where we are. Um, we're only 55 minutes from the Denver airport, yet we're at 9,000 feet, kind of like what almost feels like in the middle of nowhere. So you can get from the airport to where we are with all of this riding along the front range very, very, very easily, uh, which is another kind of unique thing about where, where we're located and, and why we chose to uh, put a business like this in a place like this. Everybody keeps asking, why would you have a bike shop in the middle of nowhere like that? Um, I think there's a lot of good reasons. You know, we probably won't have a lot of retail traffic where folks come in and buy inner tubes, um, but we have this really amazing opportunity to help people learn the entire uh, cycling, um, I don't know, cycling lifestyle, racing lifestyle, uh, train and ride and talk and hang out and camp and sleep and do everything right here at 9,000 feet. Um, Physiological testing we can offer if somebody wanted that while they were here. Not everybody's going to. Somebody wants to know what their VO2 max is, help them set their zones for training. Um, if folks wanted to talk about training plans, we got Drew Etzel. We got MTB Coach. Um, I've started coaching folks myself, so I'm doing some coaching now. Uh, uh, LW um, contributes as well. With, um, you know, Everybody knows LW Coaching. She's my personal coach and mentor. Um, so we have access to all of these. So if folks are looking at, here's what I'm trying to do, we can help get them on a plan if that's what they want, right? Not everybody's going to want all of these services. Um, but the yeah, idea so is to just give this incredible experience. Sit around yeah. a bonfire every night, 
have a couple beers, talk bicycles again. If you drink beers, I personally don't, um, but I'll have a non-alcoholic with everyone, hang out. Um, and, and just, you know, have this really cool experience, have a unique experience that's more than just a skill camp, more than just a training camp. It's, it's, you know, I would like to think that people are going to walk away from here and be like, wow, I've never done anything like that. That was amazing. I learned everything in three days. Like my brain's on overload almost. I learned so much. And, that, and the thing is, too, is it's going to be a small group of people. So four or five, six, six, six people. Yeah, six we can people max. is the max. Um, um, so what we can do is we'll have like a standard, you know, standard package. It comes with all the stuff. And then all the other stuff. So say you want to, you know, MTB, VO2 test, you know, you can get a a deal on that, you know, while you're there, get that done, all the other stuff. So, you know, to keep it simple, it's going to be, here's the package. It's going to be a small inclusive, one price, you get everything. Yep. All inclusive, one price, you get the whole entire trip. And then then if you decide you want some other things and all that will be very reasonably priced. The idea here is not to be some crazy, you know, $5,000 for three days. We want people to do this. I want people to experience this. Um, So this is going to be a very um, fair and equitable price. I think most people are going to be pretty impressed. For what I understand, some of the um, skill clinics that go around around the country, um, we're going to be charging very similar um, in cost to what folks are charging for um, skill clinics that don't involve anything other than just skills. No meals, no camping, no shuttle services, uh, pretty much you get some skill lessons and that's it. We're hoping that we can offer something um, similar in price, maybe a couple hundred dollars more. Um, but with it, you're going to get uh, this entire three-day experience, um, including lodging, shuttling to and from the airport, um, you know, and just hopefully a, a lifetime of experience from a lot of pretty amazing people. I, you know, I personally, four years ago, I would have loved to have come out and hung out and rubbed elbows with Drew Etzel for three days and just <laughs> picked his brain like the poor guy probably would have been like, dude, you got to stop talking to me. I can't answer any more questions because four years ago when I was getting into this Austin endurance thing, I didn't have a clue. And to be able to sit around and talk to somebody like your Etzel would have been like amazing, like yeah. absolutely, completely awesome. Um, so, yeah, we want to try to offer that now to folks. Drew's super excited. You know, Drew's a really busy guy. He won't be at every every camp. We'll probably have three, maybe four camps this year that are uh, Drew Etzel camps. Uh, we'd like to have a couple MTBR radio camps. Uh, Kyle Taylor, uh, one of our mechanics, is also a ridiculously fast professional racer. Um, he's going to have some camps where some of his East Coast folks are going to come out. And, uh, you know, of course, I, myself and Kathy will always be involved in all of them, in all the camps. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, pretty much you always get two people. So we're thinking the ratio is going to be two camp attendees to one um, or two um, um, uh, camp hosts. So it's a very personal experience. You didn't, nobody will get lost in the shuffle. Um, it's going to be cool. We're really excited about it. We've been working on this for you know six to eight months, really kind of brainstorming, trying to figure out what it is that folks would most want and how can we both most provide the best service to them. And uh, we're, we're, yeah. we're pretty excited to get it launched. So, so. we're working on working on dates and we're working on the pricing. We'll get the information out there. It's it'll be it, you know for the summer it's going to probably be short notice for some people, but it's only you know really with travel and all that stuff. It's only probably going to take you four days out of your week, so yep. it's not too big of a deal. No, and, and these are going to go on for years. You know, like everything, something has to everything has to start somewhere. Uh, we would have liked to have gotten this started earlier, but honestly, we've been so consumed with. Uh, you know, one, the bike shop and this, this, uh, race team. It's been amazing. This race team, or, you know, uh, ride team. It's, it's not just a race team because we have people that don't race that are just, you know, they're just bike lovers and they're riders. But, um, it's been a lot of fun. We've been custom building, you know, pivots and felts and nuke proofs. It's been awesome. And it's, but it's been a lot of work. Like, wow, we, we, we've been busy over here at the bike shop. Um, and then the launching of these elevated legs has just been silly. Yeah. Um, driving around and doing shows and running events and, and cycling events and um, that whole business is just not not something we expected to turn into what it's it's turned into. Um, it's it like out of the gate, it's a thousand times more than what we were expecting. We knew folks were looking for a product like this. Me myself as a professional racer, I've been looking for a product like this. Podium legs came on the market a few years ago and they are around for a little while. And then uh, apparently the pump did not have FDA approval. And so it got pulled off the market. And it seems like it's been two ish years, maybe longer since that product's been on the market. Um, but I was introduced to these legs through people like Drew Etzel and Amanda Carey, um, who had these at Transylvania Epic. And the first time I sat in them, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Pneumatic compression is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I mean, it's, it's like instant recovery for your legs. It, it, it is 
absolutely phenomenally incredible. So I went to the market to try to see, well, what else is out there? And I find products that are on the market that are seventeen and eighteen hundred dollars. And I'm like, I, you know, that'd be great. But the reality is, is I'm, you know, I'm a non-paid professional athlete. I don't, nobody pays me to ride my bike. I'm, you know, I'm just be honest. Um, so I don't have that kind of money. And so finally, my wife and I, a year, year and a half ago, I think when I lent you that pair, remember, you had one of the first, uh, one of the first demo test pairs about a year, year and a half ago, we decided we got it. Somebody needs to make a product that's high quality, that does what it, what we need it to do, um, and is not going to cost people, um, a fortune. And so we have worked hard to come out with, um, uh, to be honest, what we're finding and we're hearing from lots of athletes that have experience with many of our competitor brands that cost twice as much as we do, they like our product better. Um, we, our legs squeeze at the highest allowed pressure um, without a doctor's prescription, which is 200 milligrams of mercury. I mean, it squeezes very, very tight if you wanted to. It doesn't yeah, have like to. You can't even use the highest one. For me. Yeah, it doesn't have to. If you, It's totally adjustable in 20, 20 mmH increments. So if you want to turn it down to just 80 and just give it a nice, gentle flush, you can do that as well. I personally like the 200 because it really massages out uh, yeah. difficult muscles like my IT bands and my calves. Um, it's a beautiful digital pump with an LED touch screen, you know, very, very, very high quality. And, uh, we're retailing them for $899 instead of 1,750. And so we've, we, again, you know, uh, our love for cycling and our passion for this entire business has been, how can we help athletes do all of this better? And pneumatic compression without a question is one of those ways. And, uh, it's just been ridiculously fun to bring this to market. Like, I can't even tell you how cool it's been and the response every day, seeing people on Facebook, seeing, I'm sitting in a training peak seminar six days after the legs launched and I'm sitting in, in this class. I went to the training peaks university and Hunter Allen's up talking in the front and I look over and the coach next to me, nobody I know, this guy's from Tennessee. I look over on his Facebook page as a guy sitting in elevated legs. I'm, this is six days after we released the product. And I look at him, I go, yeah, dude, that, that, that's our product. And he's like, what do you mean that's your product? I'm like, that, the elevated legs, that's, that's um, my wife and I. That's our product. That, he's like, you're kidding. I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, this is Joey. Do you know Joey? I'm like, I don't. I have no idea who Joey is. Turns out it was someone, we had sold someone a pair of legs, and he lent them to his friend. Oh, okay. And his friend Joey is using them. I think it was Joey or maybe it was Jeff. Josh. It was Josh. I'm sorry. And it was a J. And uh, he's sitting there, so here's this coach looking at these legs. He's like, this is ridiculous. I can't believe it. I go, yeah, I launched that product six days ago, and there's already some guy in Tennessee, I don't know, on Facebook talking about how ridiculously awesome they are. Um, and so it's just been this nonstop uh, testimony after testimony. This morning we got a testimony from a lady who won her age group at Boston Marathon, right? So this is somebody who's not um, a slacker to training or racing. This is someone who's worked her entire life. I mean, winning age group at Boston Marathon, I can't imagine how talented you must be. And we get this four-line testimony of, like, I cannot believe how much these legs have changed my training and how awesome these things are. Um, it's just testimony after testimony, and it's – I go to bed at night smiling. I mean, I can't believe – it's like to help athletes do what I do and love so much, it's, it's the raddest thing in the world. And so, yeah, I don't know where here comes these elevated legs. So now all of a sudden we're building websites and we started a whole new LLC just based on the legs and we're driving to Sea Otter to do shows and at the same time we're trying to run the bike shop and the race team and <laughs> now we have camps coming. So anyway, yeah, I wanted the camps to happen early spring. It's not going to. It'll be summer and then next year the whole – we'll have many more next year. We'll probably only run maybe six to eight this first year. And then uh, the following year, I'd like to see 12 to 14 a season. Um, it'll even grow into where we will be doing off-site camps in the off-season. We will have Moab, we will have St. George, and we will have uh, either Tucson or maybe in the Prescott kind of area, Sedona area, yeah. where we're going to be doing off-site camps as well for um, off-season training. First um, so that's all coming as well. First you got to get yep. down at home and then figure that out. Yep. So yeah, we figured it out here this year, and then come next year, things things will keep growing. But, yeah, lots of lots of fun, exciting stuff coming and cool. really building this community so, is like pretty awesome. Yeah, so uh, like I said, I'll link that in the show notes. And yeah, thanks, man. I totally failed in the – like I said, I gave you five minutes. I figured maybe ten. I totally failed because that was like 20 minutes ago. I knew it Dude, happen. you know how I talk. Right, I know. So people, Come on, we're friends. You know how I talk. Right, you know. People, if you're listening, if you haven't heard John before, 
Um, I talk a lot. Sorry. You, you, no, it's fine. It's, it's, it's <laughs> you, like like talking about it though. So it's good. Um, yeah, a little bit passionate about what I do. I, just, I love this. Love this lifestyle. Love the mountain bike community. Like there's like there's no tomorrow, man. Yeah. Absolutely love it. It's my whole life. So so and watch. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna wrangle John down for a regular show. That's gonna be short. So it's gonna be an update of what's going on, and you know, every week or so. But um, that takes a little time to get down to. But watch yep. for that. Um, all right, cool. So that'll do it. Uh, thank you, John, for thank you guys for all that. And sure, no problem. And uh, I don't know. We'll I'll catch up with you. I don't know when on the air, but um, we'll do something soon. But uh, that'll do it. So thank Appreciate you. you having me on. Thank yeah, you very much. No problem. Thank you, everyone else, for listening to another episode on Mountain Bike Radio. Mm-hmm.